Nothing about the cross would be a surprise to Jesus. He understood the struggle, not just the physical agony, but the spiritual sacrifice that was about to be required. And he said, for this purpose, I came to this hour. Right here, right now, I know my purpose. So that's my question for you this morning. If you could had to describe your life in a single sentence, if you had to say, for this purpose, could you do it? Could you define the most important things about you and conclude with a single period? Think about that for a moment. If you had to describe your life in a single sentence, what would it say? Well, okay, let me challenge you. Pull out your sermon notes. Sharpen your pencil. I'm going to give you a minute to talk about the purpose of your life. Describe your life in one sentence. Go. Okay, so how did you do? Let me tell you what I came up with. This is what I came up with. Jim Cooley is deeply committed to following Jesus Christ, loving the family the Lord has given him, and serving God's kingdom through his church. Boy, I'm good, aren't I? Of course, I had all week to think about it. I just gave you about a minute and a half. If you had to describe it in a single sentence, what would it say? That takes a lot of discipline, doesn't it? That means every word has to have meaning. You don't have time for wasted phrases or wasted words. You've got to say what you believe quickly. Could you use one sentence to describe what your family means to you? Could you take a single sentence and describe these are the greatest priorities of my life. Could you write one sentence and say, this is the purpose that God has for me from this moment forward? What could you say in a single sentence? Well, let me ask you another question. Could you describe what the cross meant to Christ in only one sentence because the Bible does not only that the description that the Bible gives us of what the cross meant in the life of the Savior is composed of only 23 words and of those 23 words 21 of them only have a single syllable Spurgeon once described this verse by saying it was the heart of the gospel. Someone else said this, miss this and you've missed the truth of God. If you get this right, then you can be wrong in a lot of other places and still go to heaven. The truth is, we read that sentence together just a few moments ago. 
Listen to how the Bible describes what the cross meant to Jesus in a single sentence. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I want to take a few moments today as we think about what the cross meant, not just to us. And last week we talked about what the cross meant to God the Father. This morning I want to think about what the cross meant to Jesus. I want us to do that by going to this single sentence 2 Corinthians 5 21 and discover what the Bible has to say you see 2 Corinthians 5 21 describes the one who went through the went to the cross it says that Christ knew no sin he knew no sin now some translations besides the New King James that I generally use will declare that he had no sin and both are absolutely correct when you think about the phrase he knew no sin you recognize that that stresses the sinless nature of his spirit when you describe the fact that he had no sin it describes the sinless nature of his actions but together they describe the total nature of Jesus Christ they tell us everything we need to know that there was no outward sin because there was no inward sin. If you're going to recognize what the cross meant to Christ, why he struggled with the fact that he knew this was his purpose and yet he dreaded what lie before, lay before him, you recognize part of it is because he knew no sin. Jesus never allowed himself to be infected by the power of iniquity. Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. I want you to think about that for a moment. Absolutely without sin. Here's my question for you. How long have you gone in your life without sin a week a day an hour how long have you been able to live without sin my guess is that none of us qualified to go very long at all without having some kind of uh, Sinful thoughts, some kind of sinful motive, some kind of sinful word, some kind of sinful action. It hasn't taken very long before sin begins to infiltrate our lives. The truth is, too many times we have deep spiritual relationships with the Lord, real encounters and real experiences. We walk out of church on that Sunday, you think, man, that preacher of ours, he is so good. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody preaches as well as he does. And man, did I have an experience with the Lord today. And you get in your car and you come to the end of the parking lot and you're about to pull out and somebody goes by blowing their horn at you and all of a sudden sinful thoughts enter your, your mind and in your actions. So think about the one who lived a lifetime without sin. Never once a wrong word. Never once a wrong action. Never once an attitude of rebellion against God and God's commands in his life. 
without sin. We know it's true of Jesus because even people who were not disciples recognized the sinful nature of Christ. Pontius Pilate declared, I find no fault in him. The centurion who stood by the cross said, surely this was the Son of God. I look at him and I see things are absolutely perfect where this man is concerned. Now, why is it essential that we know that Christ was without sin? Because if Jesus had sinned even once, he could not be our Savior. One sin, one failure, no Savior. How do we know that's true? Because from the very beginning of the sacrificial system, God had decreed that atonement required a spotless lamb. Every year when the people came to bring the lamb to be sacrificed on behalf of their sins, they had to come with a lamb that was spotless. Just one blemish, however small it might be, disqualified that lamb from being used as a sacrifice. And spiritually, the same thing was true of Christ. If he was going to give his life on the cross, then that meant there could not be one blemish. There could not be a single stain. If ever sin had found its way into his life, he was disqualified. He could not be the Savior. It's just this simple. A sinner cannot save other sinners from their sin. Does that make sense? And so Jesus Christ knew no sin. Which makes the next thing important because we have to understand what happened to Jesus when he was on the cross. The verse bluntly declares this. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. On the cross, Jesus changed places with each one of us, and the sinless one became sin itself. He became sin personified. This is what you need to understand about that verse in 2 Corinthians. It is not using figurative language. It is a literal description. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Absolutely pure to unbelievably corrupted. All in a single afternoon. Because that is true, Jesus accomplished three things that every one of us desperately need. He became our sacrifice. The sinless one, the unblemished one, the spotless lamb became our sacrifice. Everything we deserve because of our sin was taken by the Lord. And he became the perfect sacrifice. Not the sacrifice for a little while. Not the sacrifice for a year the way the day of atonement, the lamb of atonement was used. He became the perfect sacrifice for all people from all places for all time. He paid our penalty 
the wrath of God was transformed, transferred onto his shoulders. That means the penalty for sin was not done away with. It was fully paid for. And that is so important for us to realize. You know, sometimes we tend to think that when that day comes when I trust Jesus as my Savior, when that day comes when I ask him to forgive me and to come into my heart and to grant me eternal life, he does. But we tend to think, and on that day when I trust him and he becomes my Savior, the sin is done away with. But the testimony of Scripture is it wasn't done away with. It was paid for. Paid for by Christ who became the penalty. Which means he absorbed our judgment. He took the condemnation. The condemnation for sin remains. It was just that the subject of that condemnation absolutely changed when Christ took our place upon the cross no wonder Isaiah 53 6 declares the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all I love that word iniquity it is a rich biblical word because that word iniquity means absolutely yes I knew what I was doing and I did it you know, we can, we can be really casual sometimes and say, well, you know, we all sin. Everybody sins. Anybody sins. Iniquity says, oh, no, it was all on purpose. You knew exactly what you were doing. You know exactly what God had told you to do, and you chose to go another way. And that's what the Lord laid on the Savior at the cross my iniquity my deliberate rebellion a statement is why we can never regard sin casually we can no longer say to ourselves well you know I'm a Christian I'm going to heaven if I sin it won't hurt me I'm going to heaven anyway if I sin that's okay because I have a relationship with Jesus and all of that's taken care of well that's true Except that every time I make that decision, you know what? I think I'll go ahead and sin. Somebody has to pay that price. And that somebody is the Savior. You can say it won't hurt me. But it does hurt him. He carried it to the cross. Here's the thing. If Christ is willing to take our penalty and become our sacrifice, then two other things must be true. The first one is this. Sin is incredibly destructive. You can never be casual about the effect of sin. It is incredibly destructive. Otherwise, it would not have required that kind of price to be paid. And the second thing is this. And grace must be beyond comprehension. If Jesus is willing to do that for me, how do you experience, how do you describe, how can you explain 
that kind of grace. We are incredibly in his debt. Because you see, 2 Corinthians 5.21 also tells us that Jesus did so much more. He made him who knew sin to be sin. Well, that's enough. But look at how the Bible continues. That we might become the righteousness of God. C.S. Lewis described this as the great exchange. He became my sin and I became his righteousness. Because of what he did on the cross, I get to become the sinless one. I've done nothing to earn it. I absolutely don't deserve it. The truth is my actions, my thoughts, my words say that I'm disqualified from it. There's no way on earth I can describe myself as being a righteous person. But I get his righteousness. He exchanged with me on the cross. Nobody loves you like that except the Savior. No wonder a few verses earlier, 2 Corinthians 5 declared, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am not who I used to be. Because of Jesus and his cross. When God Almighty looks upon Christian believers, he sees us through the filter of the cross. And he sees the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that astounding? He looks at us and he doesn't see us the way we failed and the way we've fallen and the way we've sinned. He looks at us. And he sees the righteousness of his son. What we don't deserve has been given to us by Jesus. It was given to us by Jesus on the cross. It really is all about his righteousness and not ours. Sometimes somebody will say to you and being critical of believers, they'll say, you know, you Christians, you think you're so much better than everybody else. The Bible says it's not a matter of me being better than you or you being better than me because none of us, none of us are righteous. No, not one. Here's the thing. Jesus is absolutely perfect, better than any of us could ever imagine, and he offers to give us his righteousness in exchange for you surrendering your sinfulness to him. That's amazing, isn't it? You give me your failure. I'll give you my righteousness. It is literally a heaven and hell exchange. I will take your punishment. You can have my purity. How is this possible? 2 Corinthians 5.21 offers two little words with the power to impact eternity. Those words, 
in him. In him. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The great exchange took place upon the cross. And the great exchange will take place on the day of judgment. The great exchange is available today for anyone who believes. The great exchange is why Jesus was willing to go to the cross. I dread this. I hate this. But it's the only way I can give you my righteousness and take away your sin. And it all takes place in him. So that's my question for you this morning. Are you found in him? Or have you been trying to do it all by yourself? Have you been trying to fix your own life knowing it is absolutely unfixable? apart from Christ have you ever come to that moment when you recognize I need what Jesus did for me on the cross because he's the only one who can make that exchange he's the only one who could make me right because he took my sin maybe today is a day when you need to trust him as your savior and your lord in a moment we're going to sing an invitation hymn and that'll be your opportunity if you'd like you can slip out of your pew and come down the aisle and I'll be here and I would love to introduce you to the savior or maybe part of what he is doing in you today is calling you to be part of what he's doing through First Baptist Church and today you need to come and say I want to be a member. I want to commit myself to serving and being served through First Baptist Church. Maybe there's another decision you need to make. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. As God speaks to your heart, you come. Let's stand together.
I'm glad we had this morning to spend this time together to look closely at what Christ was doing for us when he went to the cross. Look forward to seeing this this evening as we continue on in our study through Romans. It's been really rich and really good, and we're looking forward. We're in chapter 12, and you may say to yourself, well, I've already missed the first 11, but that's okay because every week is complete within itself. You come and be with us tonight at 5. Let's bow together for a closing prayer. And then we'll be dismissed from our service with a final song. Father, we do thank you for what you've done for us through Christ Jesus. Father, we recognize we, don't, we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we can receive it through trusting him. So, Lord, help us to walk with Jesus. And, Father, to find, find the completeness we need that can only be ours in him. And we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I'm